Well, hello, everyone. It is great to join you. Hello as well if you're at home joining us from there. It's just a pleasure to open up God's Word with you today. It is getting hot in Texas. Very hot. 90s, few hundreds. That's very hot for a guy from Northern Ireland. That's really warm. The only ones enjoying this, I believe, are the mosquitoes in my backyard. They're very excited. It's hard to go out there these days. You know, you live in a hot place when you watch the news in the morning and you go from news to weather update to a little segment on the temperature of the footpath for dog walking. I had never seen that in my life, but I guess you're all worried about the paws of your little furry friends and that's startling to me. The heat is on, which means the tug of war has begun in our home between my wife and I for the thermostat. Uh, I, she believes that uh, the best way to fight the heat outside is to turn the inside into an igloo. Just blast it. I don't go to those extremes, but uh, I'm not going to let you in on who's winning that war. Suffice to say, I'm wearing socks and winter sweaters around the house these days. It's so cold inside. But a different type of heat is spiking in the U.S., it swept across Europe for the last century or so, and the winds of change have blown it uh, to these shores. It's an anti-Christian uh, movement in Western society. If you look, smell, talk, live for Jesus Christ, society does not want you. They want to throw you out into the cold, give you the cold shoulder. If you have positions on issues of marriage and human identity and sexuality and ethics and morality and salvation alone in Christ alone because you stand on the Scriptures, you're just not wanted anymore. And the heat is going to be turned up in the next few decades in this wonderful country of yours. If society sniffs just a whiff of Jesus on you, you're going to get the cold shoulder. I read about a little bird called Chippy the Parakeet recently. I don't know if you've read about Chippy, but he had a rough few days a while back. He was singing his lovely Christian songs in his little bird cage one day, and then the next day his owner decided to clean the cage out with a vacuum cleaner. So on the vacuum hose went into the cage, the phone rang, distracted the, the owner, uh, moved the hose, and of course, little Chippy got sucked up into the vacuum abyss. When the owner realized what he'd done, he, he, he quickly turned the machine off and went into the vacuum bag, and there was Chippy, stunned. <laughs> Alive, but stunned and very dirty. So uh, without uh, uh, thinking things through, the owner took him to the bathroom, uh, turned on the tap and just essentially tried to clean him off, but nearly drowned the poor bird. And if that experience wasn't traumatic enough, he then, realizing what he'd done, decided to dry him off. So he put the hairdryer on him, blasting him with heat. A reporter caught wind of this and, and told the story, but he also reported that a few days later, he asked the owner how Chippy was doing. And here's what the owner said. Well, Chippy doesn't sing anymore. He just sits there and stares. 
I say that because I do believe Chippy's ordeal is increasingly going to be the case for Christians in this wonderful land. It kind of foreshadows the direction that we're heading toward when society has the vacuum hose and the anti-Christian vacuum machine on and wants to eradicate a land from anything that smells, looks, tastes, talks, lives Christian. But this isn't new. I mentioned Europe. That's where we've been for the last 100 years. Most parts of the world are being persecuted in, in, in hard ways, not soft ways, aggressive persecution. Of course, 1 Peter is written to believers who are undergoing a similar experience. If you've been with us throughout this series, you'll have heard us say that 1 Peter is written to a group of believers in, in what is today modern-day Turkey. And, and Peter's writing to them to encourage them to stand firm in their faith. When, when society is shoving them to the side. They're, they're not being persecuted unto death yet. It, it is soft persecution, but they're not wanted and so the question that emerges is, how do we live as Christians when the heat is turned on? Peter writes to them to address that. Peter writes to us to address that. How do Christians handle life when the heat is on? How do we live when society keeps telling us to shut up or to shove off? Today, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. Chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, please turn there and follow with us. I want to show you four things that Peter brings to our attention. There are four pieces of advice. The first one is in verse 12. Let me read it to you. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So there, there is a fiery trial or a fiery ordeal that, that these believers way back in the first century were experiencing. Life was getting very uncomfortable for them. This isn't physical persecution, as I mentioned earlier. That's coming their way. Soft persecution tends to lead to hard persecution. But, but they're being marginalized. Their communities are pushing them to the sides. They don't want them in any board that makes any decisions here. Not if their opinions are that. The, the, the society can't understand why these people only worship one God. And they're pretty intolerant about us worshiping all our other gods. They don't like our fun drunk parties. They, 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 they just seem to not like our, our sports, our entertainment. They're a bunch of killjoys. They really don't fit. Let's just keep them on the margins. Peter writes to them, and essentially he calls them in this verse to have a reality check. Do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. The word there could be translated, don't be astonished, don't be shocked. It's quite interesting that the phrase, the language, the root of the language, it comes out of the, the hospitality sector. Don't be shocked when you're not welcomed in as a guest at their resorts. Don't be surprised when society doesn't lay a, a path for you that's, that's sort of a red carpet. 
and says, come on in. We'd love to have your opinion and your voice on these matters. Don't assume that because you're of God that you're going to be treated well in his world. Don't be surprised. I grew up, many of you know this, I grew up in Spain. I grew up as a missionary kid. My parents were missionaries in the Canary Islands for, for decades. I, I didn't actually move to Northern Ireland until I was 13, and I was sent to boarding school. But in the Canary Islands, I remember very clearly going with the little community of believers there into the public squares or into the car parks beside these massive multi-story housing units to, to share our faith to sing songs and to proclaim the gospel. Now remember being pelted with rotten vegetables, food flung at us alongside of insults. And as an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old, that was very, very confusing to me. Why do they not want us? Why do they not like us? All we're doing here is trying to share with them good news of life. I also remember one of the elders in our church uh, telling us about when he came to Christ many, many years before I was born, when Spain was under a dictatorship, and he talks about how he worked in this glass factory, and that when he came to Christ for several months, he had to check his sandwiches every lunchtime to make sure there was no glass dust sprinkled inside of it to tear up his insides. His colleagues not happy that he'd turned his back on the Roman Catholic faith and placed his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I actually remember as a young kid in the early 80s, sitting in our little church gathering and all the adults being somewhat nervous and, and stressed and praying to the Lord. And what had happened, had, there had been a coup in the government in Spain, and their fears were that the, the country was going to go back to the dictatorship-type model, and they'd all be persecuted all over again. Do not be surprised, Peter says, when the winds of change begin to blow in your land, and Christianity is not wanted, when your voice is not valued. What he's essentially saying is this, when the heat is on, you need to adjust your expectations. You need to adjust your expectations. It's going to happen. You're not wanted. It is coming. Alignment with Jesus Christ, any smell of Jesus Christ on you is simply not wanted in this society, increasingly so. Friends, when you call sin what society loves, you're not welcome. When you rightfully call sin what society worships, you're not welcome. It's coming. Adjust your expectations, Peter says. Get used to it. Start to check your sandwiches. Watch out for the rotten vegetables that might be flung your way because of your standing firm for Jesus Christ. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount also. Look at Matthew 5, uh, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
You know what Jesus is saying there 20, 25 years before Peter? Expect it. Expect it. If you're mine, you're not wanted. I wasn't wanted. Now look at verse 13 with me. Paul, uh, Peter moves uh, from addressing expectations to, to dealing with emotions. He's giving you an emotional uh, check. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share or you participate in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, how is that possible, right? I, I, I struggle with this too. Peter, you're asking me not to get bitter and not to get angry and not to get annoyed with a society that mocks me and mocks my God. And you're not just saying endure it, you're saying enjoy it. This is pretty tough, Peter, but, but here's why. A couple of things that he highlights there. You get to share or participate in the same experience that Jesus Christ experienced when he walked the earth. That's how he was welcomed in. That's how he was received. And there is something beautiful that perhaps a nine-year-old boy can't understand, but a 40-something-year-old man can understand as he reflects on the image and the experience of a nine-year-old boy that it is pleasurable to know that I stood there for the one I love when they were flinging food at me. Because God saw that too. And when he saw his people, that little church standing for him as a light in that community, despite what was coming against them, he smiled. They're mine. There's something lovely about participating in the insult and the malignment and the experiences of our Lord. It's like an opportunity for you to declare to him, not just in word, but in deed, I love you. I love you. I love you. I want to live for you. But there's a future focus on this too, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It's as though Peter is saying, listen, this joy that you can have in the midst of this situation is going to continue and, and climax on the day when Christ returns. Second coming. Fix your gaze in that direction. There, there's a third reason I believe he says this. It's back in verse 12. We're not going to go there, but it's, it's the issue of testing. Peter's already dealt with it in chapter 1, that, that trials and fiery ordeals are opportunities for God to test your metal, your commitment, to burn off the dross, right? It's the fiery furnace. So when the heat is on, my friends, uh, you don't just have to adjust your expectations. You also have to alter your attitude. You've got to alter your attitude. You've got to make sure that, 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 that you begin to sing more and, and hum, I don't know, amazing grace a little bit more that you whistle as you, as you walk the streets or as you go into that workplace or that campus because of your faith. It is possible to be joyful in the midst of trials. I know because I've got four kids. <laughs> and to be a bit more focused than that, my wife and I know because she's given birth to four kids. Let me tell you about the third when he came. I was on the phone with a, a, a man in our church, the church I pastored back home because his brother had died and he wanted me to do the funeral and, and I didn't know the man. The man had no thought for God, uh, but he was, 
his brother I loved and he wanted me to help him out. My wife comes out into the backyard where I'm on the phone and she says, I'm getting some contractions, so I'm just going to go and get ready, maybe take a bath. Uh, you know, we're not going to go to the hospital immediately because they'll just send us back. And so I'm waving at her as if to say, yeah, no problem. A minute later, my wife's out with the car keys. We're, we're going. That 20-minute drive was the longest drive of my life. I, I thought I was going to deliver a baby in our car. Now, I have never heard anything like this in my life, but the, the screams of pain that she was undergoing, I can only imagine is like what dying soldiers experience when they're dying on a battlefield. As those contractions came hard and heavy, she was in pain and it was horrible to watch. And then they would ease for a moment and she'd whip her neck around toward me with a smile on her face. He's coming. We're doing this. And I'm like, what is just happening here? We got to the hospital. Uh, we got to the delivery ward. Little Jake came out like a rocket bound for the moon. And, and, and her pain was gone when she experienced the joy of, of another son. And he's a third. We had a fourth. Didn't stop us. You can face trials with joy if your attention is fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done and what he is going to do, it is possible. Again, back to Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, verses 11 and 12. really want 12, but let me read 11 once more. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. Peter's echoing Jesus. So we need a reality check and we need an emotional check, but you also need an identity check, an identity reminder. That's what Peter provides in the next few verses. Let me be very selective. We'll read it all, but selective in what I highlight just in the interest of time. You know, I mean, I preached last week, but I haven't preached in a while, so the early service got an extra 11 minutes over my allotted time. So I'm gonna save some time here. Let me read it to you. If, and the language there means since, since you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name, the name Christian. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So let me be very selective here. What Peter is wanting to remind those first century believers is what the Holy Spirit wants to remind you in the 21st century in the United States, and it's that your core identity is that you're a Christian. You're a Christian. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a Christian first. See, I was a Murphy first for about five or six years. But then when I gave my life to Christ as a young little boy, I became a Christian first, Murphy second. 
So you're a man, you're a woman, you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a brother, you're a sister. You're, I don't know, a butcher, a baker, and a candlestick maker. I'm a Northern Irishman. You're an American, but you're not an American first if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a Christian first. There's no passport control when you enter through the pearly gates in heaven trying to identify what citizenship you were down on earth. It's, it's beautiful to have a healthy sense of patriotism, whether you're American, Canadian, or Northern Irish, but that's secondary if you're a Christian. That's what Peter's driving at here. Paul calls it you're a citizen of heaven in Philippians when he's trying to write to encourage the Philippian church to stand strong. Remember where you're from. Being a Christian is a core of your identity. You're in Christ. And that's not a fluid thing, right? There's too many chameleon Christians who, who, who want to adapt to their environment because they don't want to stand out for Christ because it can be tough. You might get some vegetables flung at you. The word Christian is only used in the New Testament three times. Here's one. The other two are in the book of Acts. When you do a study of the root of the word Christian, it's an insult. It's an insult even in Peter's day. To be called a Christian is somebody trying to badmouth you. And, and, and Peter's spinning the concept and he's saying, oh yeah, bring it on. I am a Christian. We are Christians. We bear that name. What an honor. I've shared this story before. Uh, I believe it's very appropriate here again. It's the story of Perpetua. Remember Perpetua in the third century? North Africa, Carthage, not Texas. Not in the third century. This is a, a Christian woman who's incarcerated because she's a Christian. That's her only crime. She is a follower of Jesus Christ. And she's going to be sent out into the wild animals to be put to death as a spectacle to society. And her dad comes to her and pleads with her, as any dad would do, to recant her faith, to just do it for a little while because her God, as she declares, is a gracious God and would forgive her anyway, wouldn't he? Moreover, she has a little boy that she's got to rear. Perpetua's answer is incredible. She says to her dad, Dad, see that pot, little clay pot in the prison cell. See that pot? That's a pot. You can't call it by any other name. A pot is a pot. I am a Christian. I cannot go by any other name. That is who I am. Like Perpetua, friends, are you a Christian first? First. Are you a Christian first? Peter emphasizes a whole bunch of encouraging things there and one warning. I don't have time to go through them. Suffice to say, jot this down for future study. In verse 14, he reminds them that the Holy Spirit is present with them. You don't just get insults, you get God himself. Verse 16, he reminds them that they get to bear that name to the glory of God, that they get to be a massive billboard that advertises the greatness of God. Because they're Christians. Verse 17 and 18, he reminds them that God is a just judge and that he will judge justly. He sees. God sees everything. And there is a day of vindication. 
Verse 15 comes with a little warning. Make sure that your suffering is because of your faith, not because of your dabbling in sin. If you're a believer and you're dabbling in sin, you're going to suffer the consequences of that. That's not what Peter is talking about here. He's warning you away from that. So when the heat is on, you adjust your expectations, you alter your attitude, but you also accept whose you are. Accept whose you are. I grew up in a wonderful home, as I've shared already, and my mom and dad influenced us for Christ in a very tough environment in many, many ways, many of them subtle. One that stands out that reminds me that I belong to Jesus Christ and I live aware of that identity is a little phrase that my dad always shared with us kids as we hopped out of the car and into school. I'm one of seven. There's a lot of us. Every day, dad took us to school and his parting words ringing in our ears as we entered into the world, school, from our kids' perspective, were these. Kids, remember who you are and whom you serve. Remember who you are and whom you serve. Accept who you belong to. When you go into that environment and your faith begins to be challenged, don't forget you're a Christian. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You serve him. Back to Jesus' most famous sermon, Matthew 5, 11, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Another translation, because of my name, because you were the name Christ. Look at verse 19, where we see Peter's fourth piece of advice on how to handle life as a Christian when the heat is turned on. Verse 19, therefore, so he's wrapping things up here. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is a lifestyle check that Peter does not want believers to forget. He wants them to, you know, have a reality check, right? He, he wants them to have an identity check. He wants them to have an emotional check, but he also wants them to have a lifestyle check. You belong to Jesus Christ. You live for Jesus Christ. When the heat is on, you've got to act out your faith while you trust in God. You act out your faith while you trust in God. One of the beautiful battle cries of the Reformation was this, that you're saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves never comes alone. There is a fruit to genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Spirit of God comes to indwell you because of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it, it is evident in your living. It, it kind of oozes out of you if you're walking in fellowship with God. Act out your faith while trusting in God is what Peter is saying to these believers here. He uses the language of entrusting yourself to the faithful creator. It's interesting what's going on there. Faithful, of course, is a reminder that we need that God can be trusted when it looks like he's absent. So we need to be reminded of that. The silence of God is not the absence of God. He is faithful. 
And Peter refers to him as creator. That's not used elsewhere in the New Testament by the apostles intentionally, right? We refer to God the Father or to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he picks creator because he wants to remind you that the one who got it all going controls it and sustains it and is sovereign. Even when it looks like your world is falling apart because of the affronts of society. But the word entrust I love, it's a little banking term. You know, when you put your money into a bank, you're entrusting your money to that bank. Banks can be, no offense to bankers, can be unreliable, right? Because they invest as well and you could lose it all. But, but not this bank. This bank is God. Entrust yourself to the care of God is what Peter is saying here because he's the creator and he is faithful. In fact, that's what Jesus did according to Peter in 1 Peter. Don't go there, but let me read it to you. When he, Jesus, was maligned, Peter says in chapter 2, he did not answer back. When he suffered, he didn't threaten retaliation. He entrusted himself to God who judges justly. Peter is asking you and I to do exactly what Jesus himself did before the Father. He entrusted himself into the hands of the only one who's reliable because he's faithful, God himself. Back to Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. I've taken you there several times already. What I want you to see is what, that the Holy Spirit is impressing upon the heart of Peter, really a reminder of what Peter heard from the lips of Jesus several decades earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at chapter 5, verse 16. It will come up on the screen as well. In the same way, let your light shine, your living, let it shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Peter's just passing on to us what Jesus passed on to him that you entrust yourself into the care of God while you do good. As a husband, we dealt with that in chapter 3. As a wife, we dealt with that in chapter 3. As a subject in a society that might not be that godly, we dealt with that in chapter 2 and 3 and uh, in previous sermons. I mean, Peter wants believers to live out their faith doing well. And when believers do that, no matter what station in life God has positioned them, society takes notice. They might not like it, but some will be transformed by it. So if society sniffs but a whiff of Jesus on you, it's open season for getting the cold shoulder. You're going to be pushed around a little bit. It's coming. Don't be surprised, my friends. It's coming. It's been whirling around Europe for a while now, but we're Christians. We get to bear that name. We don't need to be like Chippy the parakeet bird, right? Sitting there stunned. We can live well for Jesus Christ. Did you know that today, 11 on average, 11 believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be killed for their faith. Every day, the average, 11 a day. 
probably currently listening to a message somewhere, singing worship songs with their brothers and sisters in Christ, but because of their faith, they will be killed today. Not because of natural causes, but because of their faith. We get to live for Christ. I leave you with a final verse. I've been teaching through 2 Timothy. And there's a verse that Paul uses. 2 Timothy, of course, is his last letter as he's about to face martyrdom for his faith. But he says to young Timothy, as he's passing on the baton, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, he says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not may be persecuted. Will be persecuted. Friends, it's coming. Adjust your expectations. Alter that attitude. Switch it over to joy. Remember whose you are. Accept your identity in Christ. We are Christians. And friends, it's time for us to be able to entrust ourselves into the arms of God. Live out, act out our faith by doing good in a society that's dark that needs him, desperately needs eternal life. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for this series in 1 Peter that's, that's coming to an end soon, but it is so relevant to the conditions we're beginning to face in society here today. I pray, Father, that you would impress your word into the hearts of your people so that they will enter their workplaces, their, their college campuses, their, perhaps their, just their living room, and be able to say, I can live for Christ here because I am a Christian. And Father, if there's somebody who doesn't know you today, has never trusted in Jesus Christ personally, that they will turn to him, that they will receive him by faith and enter into eternal life. Amen.